We're back again. Podcast number 16. 16. Yeah, we did it. We got to 16. As Tony said, we got our driver's license. In this podcast, podcast now has its driver's license. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah. Thanks. We have our special guest, Peter Brown. Hi. Thank Hello. you so much for finally having me. The man, hey. the myth, the legend himself. Uh, writer, actor, stand-up, musician. You're all over the place. You got. You're doing everything. I think my problem is that I like everything, and so... But you do everything very well, though. Mm. <laughs> I think that of all the things, like, writing is my first love. Yeah, I would say that that's, like, the thing that stands out most from you is, like, you're always writing. Like, you're always writing. Yeah. And all the time. Since I've known you, you've just always had a pen in your hand, always a piece of paper. You're always doing stuff. I don't travel... You're like the Eminem of film i don't travel without my special pad and my little pad of paper um yeah but i like i like all kinds of creative stuff and i find if i want to procrastinate i'm like hey let's take some guitar lessons or let's try something else yeah um yeah but you're constantly sparking your brain to kind of like learn new arts though that's a good thing yeah i think that's what we all like have to do like the same way you guys are like doing this podcast now and have this new space and your youtube channel like i think it's really important to not uh, stay stagnant and like challenge yourself to just yeah. I, like I just started taking guitar lessons uh, for the last two months and I'm like really not good but I enjoy it because it's still a version of storytelling but like a different part of my yeah. brain yeah that yeah makes sense you're you're very consistent at whatever you do I've noticed like you're very like you like like I said on your um you know your Instagram and just knowing you too for through work and stuff you've always been someone that like puts in the hours and you just you write you're constantly writing all the time like for whatever reason you're always just doing it and i think that's like the hardest thing to do with any kind of uh artistic outlet or anything in general Mm -hmm. is the consistency uh so even this podcast like just knowing that every thursday at 5 30 we're gonna do a podcast no matter what rain shine snow sleep anything we're always gonna do it like we just keep it going and and that's how you get better i mean it's like i I compare writing to being like an athlete like if you just spend or learning the piano if you just spend 20 minutes every day working on something Mm -hmm. in two years you'll inevitably be better because you will have spent five thousand eighty seven minutes minutes (laughs) times whatever (laughs) but um when i first first moved here i got this great piece of advice from someone who said i don't believe in inspiration i believe in ass in chair Mm. And so I always think about that when I go and do my little morning pages where it's like, it doesn't really matter what I'm writing. It Most of it sucks. Yeah. And that's why I have my scissor tattoo to be like 99% of this goes in the trash. But like, if you just work at it a little bit every day, yeah. whether it's learning a new language, um, learning to, I don't know, cook something. Like if you just put a little bit of time in every day, like it will get done. Yeah. It all adds up, you know, in the end. But I think it's really easy to be like, oh, I haven't done shit. I need to spend five hours on my day off getting it yeah. done. And that, to me, is always a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So I like to work in sort of short, concentrated bursts instead of being like in my younger years, like, I'm going to go to this coffee shop for six hours and I won't leave until I write 10,000 words. Like, yeah, when you put too much pressure on yourself and your creativity, then you're just like sort of setting yourself up to feel yeah. bad about yourself. Yeah. Then and you, like, you, I can do that anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah, it, it kind of like takes away the fun of why you initially were doing it 
to begin with. You're like, oh, now it's like I have to do this like you know over over the top amount of of work on this thing, mm-hmm. and then if you just like pace it out, it makes it more manageable, and you know you still still love what you do at the end of the day. That's that's what I've learned, and it's like I think that as creative people, and we're all from the Midwest, we're all have yeah good, like good work ethic and the way we were raised. It's really hard to cut yourself slack. Mm-hmm. I think it's really easy for me to praise you or you, but then with me, it's like you're your own worst yeah, enemy. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're um, our own uh, worst critic. And I think critic. I'm great. I think I, 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 <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm basically done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this life experience to end. That's yeah. it. Well, I'm turning 40 soon, and so I also find myself reflecting on uh, what life was like when I was 30 when I moved here, and we were chatting at work mm-hmm. the other day about like, like, what should I talk about? And so I thought a lot about like when I moved here, how I didn't really understand a lot of things and how things work. And you have a really different idea of what life looks like in Los Angeles. And yeah. then once you have a few years under your belt here and go through a lot of like weird friendships that don't go anywhere and weird creative projects that yeah, never yeah. happen, you yeah. kind of like hone in on people who are like-minded and doing things that you love and that you know are sort of trustworthy in terms of as you said like every thursday at 5 30 like right you meet so many people here who just talk about doing stuff but yeah. don't actually do anything and that's mm-hmm. sort of the nature of life anyway but to your point earlier like i've been working on this book for a while and, and when i did the, the first draft i said i just have to do 500 words a day and if i just do that every day for four months then i will have x amount of words and the goal mm-hmm. was for the book to be 47,094 words, which is the length of The Great Gatsby, which is my favorite book. But like, you know, it's just math. And I'm not good at math. Like I went to an arts high school. I didn't take math. But if you just divide a number by whatever and make a calendar, like I have like a physical calendar and I, I put a little heart sticker up each day when I make my word count. And I think... So what do, you, what do you average a day then as far as hitting your marks? So I, I every day if, when I did the first draft, it was it just had to be 500 words a day. And you can do that in like 10 minutes if you just sit down and crank it out. Hmm. Um, and now that I'm doing the second draft. You can do that in 10 minutes. Like, could you cr- crank it out? Because Yeah, I mean, you I can. Don't know, I don't know my home keys. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like, tit, tit, tit. Well, you know, I used Mavis, Mavis Beacon growing up, so I became really proficient <laughs> in the. Uh, but no, I think any any anything you want to do making a podcast, doing stand-up, um, having a YouTube channel. Like if you just set aside a little time every day, it'll it'll get done. Right. You know? Right. I think that's like one of the hardest things out of anything is just starting and then knowing that you're just going to suck and it's going to be horrible. And yeah, like yeah. that's like even with uh, with my YouTube channel and and then stuff with this t-shirt company oh, yeah, it's and everything. Awful. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it's absolutely trash. I love to hate watch it. Still, still, no, it sucks, still yeah. no one's bought yeah. into this shit. I'm I, I looked the at it. One buyer on I my fucking website. Um, but I looked at it. I didn't buy anything. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, nah. So it's like grinder. I just kind of like look through <laughs> yeah. now and then. Yeah, but it's it's like knowing that the, like the you have these expectations for yourself that you you know are not realistic but that's what the standard you want to be at you mm-hmm. think you can just jump in and be like okay i'm gonna do this and everything's gonna be perfect and as long as i you kind of get analysis paralysis we're like i've had the right lighting and i have and i research it enough it's like ah yeah, yeah you can do that you know to a point but after a while you just have to like suck and just do it and then like that's how you're gonna actually learn like oh like this really doesn't matter that much. And like, this is, you're going to find your own voice and, mm-hmm. and find out what, you know, the, the real process of learning, whatever you're interested in doing it like the is, you know? 
Well, I, I'm going to butcher it, but there's a great quote by David Sedaris where he says, like, when you start out, it's like in your mind, like you have this idea of what being good is like. Yeah. But you have to like write a lot of really bad shit in order to get to a place where you can actually be good. Right. But like in your mind, that's like you have the novel, you have the movie, you have it all like planned out and it's fucking perfect. Right. When you sit down with your final draft or whatever and yeah, actually start yeah. hammering it out, you're like, this is trash. <laughs> right. And I got this tattoo when I was 24 when I felt old and like I would never <laughs> write anything good yeah. uh, as a reminder to be like every day you just get up and you write and like you know that literally 99.5% it just goes in the trash yeah so it's just this reminder that like you have to just make a lot of shit let me ask you this as far as like stuff that you just say you know quote unquote put in the trash do you ever have parts of like scripts that you like it just doesn't work for that story and you re repackage it for another like project all the time. Okay. It's like you're basically plagiarizing yourself. I have yeah. a... Yeah, so I would say like that less, you know, it's probably like 30% gets used. The other 70% gets recycled in other like package or like those story arcs or whatever. Speak just, for yourself. Uh, no, I mean, there's like a... I, I, no, I, I've, do you I've, do that in comedy? I would imagine like if you have a good joke that you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't really hit. But then you, like, yeah. you have another idea Absolutely. of a joke and you're like, oh, that one part from this joke, there's I stuff can like, too that, like, like twine these together, you know? Which is weird that like, you know, because again, when you have like, I have look, I look at like sorting laundry. Like I have like dad stuff, you know what I mean? Like I have like, I guess now divorce stuff. Like mm -hmm. there's like certain, th you know, car stuff. That you got, just, you like, got a lot of stuff. Yeah, I got a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> of but baggage. there's a lot of stuff that like I just wouldn't really think about like, I don't just like it done. Like, why am I not doing this joke with this joke? It's in the same family. And then mm, you, you yeah. marry them and stuff. And for whatever reason, they just didn't really get collected until you really go back through and you pour over your notes. And you're like, oh shit, actually that flushes out this whole bit entirely. And there's jokes that I've had like for years I didn't have a home. And then you find some kind of vehicle for them to actually work together. And it's usually some kind of life circumstance that makes you reflect and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about like uh, um, near-death experiences and stuff or turning 40. It's kind of the same thing, right? We're just kind of like <laughs> a moment to reflect. And you're like, well, shit, we're kind of getting close to the end here. You got a lot of miles behind you in the rear view. And then you kind of take your, if you look at yourself, you know, from a macro spectrum, you're like, all right, what, what, what am I doing? What works? What didn't? Why? And all that kind of shit. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how... I feel about like my act. I don't write scripts and stuff like that, but I, you know. But I think anytime you get up on stage, it takes balls. And also, I like to think that we're not near the end. We're only we're only halfway there. We're just getting started. I like to think of like turning forty. Like uh, it's you get your like bank statement. You're like, oh shit! Like I already like you you, you might have a hundred dollars in your account. And you're like, oh, I already burned through like almost half of that. And it's not necessarily that you have the other sixty left in the account. You just have like. 40 less than you started off with you know what i mean what was what was like something that like <laughs> i do know you're coming up on 40 right you, you said yeah, peter november i didn't, november. I didn't okay. say i didn't right. say when 20 yeah. uh so like what what has been something that like someone has said that makes you like like i just assume i feel like the same kid i was when i was out here like when i moved out here 24 mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. like i just had that like mentality and i remember my grandfather telling me when he, you know, was in his, in his nineties, he was 91 when he passed away and him being like, I'm like, man, like, how does it feel to be fucking this old? You know? And he's like, I, like in my mind, I'm like the same kid I was when I, you know, like I've always been, but I'm like, my body just doesn't work. Exactly. I mean, that's how I feel. Like I had a really challenging night at work the other night and I got done and I was like, I'm so fucking like tired. Cause I got like <laughs> yelled at, had to put out a bunch of fires, had to pick a bunch of, I just had to do a lot of stuff and it was really like mentally and physically exhausting. 
And I was walking home and I'm like, I'm really fucking tired. And I'm like, well, I just worked a long shift and I'm yeah. not 19. I'm yeah, 39. Yeah, yeah. But, but have you had anybody like say something to you that like made you feel old, old or remind you of your, your age? Because <laughs> I've had that. I had that happen to me today. And I'll, I want to hear your guys's like examples oh, of it. I've and had I'm it just with like, like, oh. like a text <laughs> and it's like, um, it's an acronym and I don't know like what it is. Oh, yeah. And I have to like. Like, like look it up. Yeah. Oh my god! You have to it, Google it. It was um. <laughs> I, well, now I just like text like my friends in their early twenties. It was uh. It was like S M F, like S M F F. Do you know what that means? No. no. I was like, is this is this like BDSM? <laughs> so it means yeah. like shaking my uh fucking fingers or shaking my head. I but I was like, I have no idea what this means. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do think that as you get older, it's interesting because when I was the tender age of 30, I felt like I was old. And now that I'm 39, I feel like younger and sillier than I did when I was 30 and I moved here and I felt like yeah. I was a has-been and life was over. That's interesting you say that because I, I, uh, I feel like the same way where when I moved here, I was like, there was no emotion. You know what I mean? Like I had like ex-girlfriends like, do you ever actually get happy or like sad about anything? I was just kind of like very just monotone. And then now obviously I have a kid. So there's a little bit more of that playfulness of trying to like, you know, I guess my improv skills for, for playing with like just getting outside myself. I'm like, fuck it. Let's just, let's play imaginary fucking, you know, characters and shit. Mm -hmm. And that actually kind of brings back like a resurgence of youth. Eric, you never really grew up. So you've always been like that, you know? Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're, you're still that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's part of your, hi, hi Eric, how are you? Yeah. That's part of, that's part of your charm. Like my dad is 83 and he is so young at heart in so many ways. And I, I hope to hold on to some of that because I yeah. feel like, um, but you'll recapture it though, because there is, I, I feel like I was like that a lot as a kid, you go through like life just experiences trauma whatever just growing up and getting a job and shit and then you kind of like i gotta fucking grow up and stop being like uh you know young at, at heart right and then you realize like well fuck that's actually the only thing that keeps you youthful right so that's you know bringing that back and then you move to a place like la where it's like a uh, never never land right so there's a lot of people that like never really grow up in the wrong ways right we're just like it's tuesday let's get some blow and go to a bottle service at the club and she's like dude you, that's that is not the youthful you want to stay with but that is a life yes to everything you're saying and also that is a life that people here i think can live and i think we work in an environment where we witness a lot of people who in a way never really have to grow up because there's no need for them to get a regular job and like i know people who just come from a, a lot of money and yeah. it's really fascinating to me because i feel like if you work hard, and I also think it's a Midwest thing, like you have this thing instilled in you to work hard and sort of enjoy things more. Whereas if it's all just handed to you and it's yeah. a Tuesday and we're getting blow and going to bottle service, like <laughs> you've never really had to work that hard in your life anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like if we did that, we would yeah. enjoy it a lot more because it would be like a rare treat, not yeah. like the norm. Yeah. 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 I, th I think anything that you have to work for, it, it's, it's more appreciated, you know, just like for the simple fact of, of um, like, even as simple as like the weather, like you're, you, we're so used to being from the Midwest, having to deal with like horrible weather, nine months. Oh my out God, of the polar year. vortex, like yeah. my yeah. 1992 <laughs> blizzard ruined my birthday party. Like I still remember. Yeah. And, Black and you, you got to put in the work. Yeah. You got to shovel your fucking driveway every day and scrape your window and like, yep. you know, put all those clothes on. Yeah. yeah. All that shit. So people here don't here, know that. Yeah. 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 
And w- when you have those like sunny days out here, you know, and when you move out here, you're like, oh, wow, you like really appreciate that, you know, initially. And then like now that we're all accustomed to it, we're like, yeah, we take it for granted. We're like, oh, it's only 70 degrees a day and sunny. Like, Ugh, like I need my parka. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, you know, it changes you. I never I never minded the weather like growing up. I also didn't know any better. And so what right. I say now That's is I, I certainly didn't mind it, but I also certainly don't miss it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the first year I lived here, I was really confused because I would be like, is it October? Is it March? I don't yeah. really know. And it's easy to lose track of time here when for long stretches of time, the weather is always the same. Yeah. You just have to go to the mall to like be reminded what season it is. Right. And like oh, see like the Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what that's what month yeah. is. Okay. Mm-hmm. January or June. And I, that's always a I don't know. But I'll tell you, man, like. Like you're saying, you've been out here for almost 10 years at this point. It goes by fast, right? Well, it is. It's weird how when you get older, time goes faster. Because I feel like when I was twenty-one, I'm like, I I want to be, I want to grow up, and I want to be yeah. old. And like my twenties felt like forever. And then my thirties here have just been like, thirties definitely flew by. Twenties, I definitely was, because you, it's you, uh, you know, becoming a teenager is that window from like you know thirteen to nineteen, right? But like getting to that point in like the teens, you know, you know, because eleven and twelve don't really count. But once you get to that teen part. It seems like it's a stretch before you turn 18. You're like, oh, I'm an adult. I'm a legal adult now. And then it's like you turn 21 and then your 20s, you're kind of living in there. And then fucking 30s fly by and I'm already like about to crack into a, my second year in my 40s. And it's just like, God damn, dude, this is going to fly by just as fast as your 30s, if not faster. Well, and it's weird, too, to like, I just remember turning 30 and feeling really old. And like at the time, that's when I decided to move out here. I was like, I don't have like a house, career, plants relationship like i really don't have anything to show for myself and i remember being like well if i move somewhere else i can sort of become a different person right but i think anytime you move somewhere new you're still exactly who you are but you do have the opportunity to i don't know like i was in some weird plays and some commercial like i just tried a lot of new stuff and i think part of that came from maybe the fear of thinking that i was I don't know, it sounds so dumb to say, like, when you're 30, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm over the hill. Like, it's never going to happen. My life's over. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like, I'm excited to be 40, and I'm excited for, like, whatever the next decade has in store for us and for yeah. you to raise a teenage son who will probably be creative as well and yeah. keep doing your stuff. I think it's really cool that you guys have this space and this routine and this ritual because I think, like, uh, for our viewers and listeners who don't know, you two have been friends for what twenty plus years? Twenty five. Twenty five. Shit's And you were roommates. No, dude, we've been friends since like fourteen. Your coworkers, your creative collaborators. Very very long. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty rare in my experience here. Like, I've had so many like fair weather friends that where it's like they're interested in you for X, Y, and Z, and then you just never fucking see them again. So there's something to be said for like the bond that you two share and like just your consistency. And also that you you have worked together, lived together, collaborated together, and like you don't want to kill each other. (laughs) It's day by day. I know. Today feels (laughs) like a good day. But (laughs) it's definitely a, a, a brother relationship and and a tough love if there is something or or that that someone to confide in that yeah. mm-hmm. like you you have both of those options you know like your your family you know that at this point yeah. it, it is like we are each other's family brothers from other mothers like mm-hmm. literally like we were 
each only each other's only family member for so many years you know um, well again too back to like how long we've been out here for like i've now come to the point where i've lived out here as long as i live in wisconsin so like mm-hmm. in turn i've lived with eric longer than i lived with my family you know what i mean that's yeah. like the crazy thing i mean we got a little bit of distance now so we live in the same household and stuff like i have elapsed if you look at it like a, a a readout like i've had more elapsed time with eric my non-blood relative than mm-hmm. my actual like siblings and yeah shit. I mean, and then on top of that, we've worked every job together. So even if we weren't living together, we're still seeing each other five days out of the week, four days, you know, three, four days out of the week, you know, so there's that too. So always been, uh, you know, in one way, shape or another, a part of each other's kind of like support system, Mm -hmm. you know, through good, through bad, all that shit. Which I think is really important to have here. I think that a lot of people move out here. Like I didn't really know anyone I moved out here. I had a couple sort of friends, but like you're fortunate to come out here and have already had that. I always say anytime you move to a new city, it takes like at least a year to kind of find your people and kind of figure out who your community is. But I think the nature of living here, it's so um, transactional, transitory. Like I've met so many people when I first moved here that I just never saw again. Yeah. yeah. You guys are lucky to kind of be best friends forever. When did you, when did you move out here? August 1st, 2015. 14 so i just had and my nine year anniversary yeah yeah, yeah. and you're originally from chicago i'm originally from oh minnesota, minnesota. minnesota. i'm sorry um we don't say sorry minneapolis, <laughs> minneapolis. uh my dad uh taught at the u of m um uh he is a writer uh the director of the creative writing program he taught there for 39 years like storytelling was always really important growing up um i could have stayed in minneapolis and probably gone to the u of m for like you know, a fraction of the cost, but I really wanted to live somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And since I didn't get into USC or NYU early admission, Chicago was my third choice. Mm -hmm. But I had a really good uh, education there at Columbia College. Um, I studied um, film direction. And I walked in the ceremony um, in the summer, spring of 2006. I had 114 credits. I had two classes left to take that summer. And um, I was actually just telling someone the story the other day. I, I didn't complete those classes because I was 22 and I'm like, I don't care. And so I bought a one-way ticket and I decided to go to Europe instead. But I had already walked in the ceremony, like had the party, yeah. ca- cashed all the checks. <laughs> and I didn't, um, I didn't tell anyone. And then I spent eight months overseas. Uh, my dad's from England. I was in England for a while with family. I spent some time in Paris. I lived in Rome and Amsterdam for a couple of months and, um, you know, having a great time. Yeah. See, that's like, so that yeah. that's so cool to, you know, say that you've, you did that. And like people might listen to that be like, Oh my God, that's so crazy. But I look at it as like, what awesome life experiences, whether good or bad, like you just got to experience that that well, most people would never even think about taking that kind of risk or doing something like that. They're, they're probably more focused on like the, you didn't finish college, you know, <laughs> like who gives a shit? Like well, the, those life experiences I think are made you the, the person that you are though, too. I, I think so. And I also, I got this really good piece of advice. I still remember I worked at this little vegan diner in Chicago in Boys Town, which is like the WeHo of Chicago. Mm-hmm. This like professor type came into the restaurant all the time with this, beautiful wife of his and i he told me he said you know when you're young he said you should go and travel 
you said before you have to pay back your student loans and you know like when you're young you have a lot more opportunity and freedom it's like kind of carte blanche like you can just go and no one's gonna like stop you because you're 22 yeah and i really took that advice to heart because i feel like the older you get the harder it is to pick up and go you have children obligation um just more stuff and so in a way i'm always glad that i did that and then um i was in amsterdam and i was feeling really good and really creative and what i didn't know was happening at the time was i was starting to have a a manic episode and so i was becoming increasingly creative energetic at the same time like sleeping less my big vice when i'm manic is just like spending money and pretending i'm like a movie star Mm -hmm. so i racked up a bunch of debt and like kind of got into some trouble and basically had to be shipped back to the States and then admitted to a psych ward where they were like, Oh, you're bipolar and you're having a manic episode. And I was like, well, I just feel good. And you know, (laughs) fuck, fuck all of you. Yeah. Um, so then when I kind of came down from that, I kind of was able to realize that I had like engaged in the engage in a lot of like risky and bad behavior. I had like borrowed a bunch of money from like a bunch of people. Um, and at the time it made perfect sense. Right. Yeah. But I felt a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And also I was like, Oh fuck, I never like actually finished college. And so I had to move back to Minneapolis for a couple months and stay with my family. But I was determined to not ever tell anyone that I didn't actually finish college. Um, until now, until now, <laughs> if you're listening now, but I, uh, you're here for, so, sorry, dad. Uh, <laughs> he's like, being back there, it was like, I just felt like a failure. And so I remember being like, well, I'll just get a job and um, figure it out. And then I'll, you know, figure it out. I got a job at this restaurant and I got like fired because I took some quiz on the menu and I didn't know all the burgers or something. And I was like, you know, fuck this. I'm going back to Chicago. And I was walking home and it's a true story. There was this suitcase sitting on this front yard and it just had a post-it on it. It just said free. And I think I talked about this on the podcast that you heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, this is like a sign from the universe, right? So I took the suitcase and like the next day I took the mega bus and went back to Chicago. I stayed with a friend. I'm like, I'll get my old job back at the restaurant. I'll figure it out. And um, was on some pretty heavy duty antidepressants, antipsychotics, like really struggling with like feeling sane but still wanting to be creative and like trying to find that balance which is like you know it's different for everyone yeah was back there for two and a half weeks and then i was hit by a cab uh, that blew through a stop sign in wrigleyville and i um flipped over the handlebars and i didn't have a helmet on and i had a really bad brain injury and i was in the hospital for like 10 days and like again i just felt really fucking sorry for myself like i'm just trying to i'm just trying to start over and all these things are happening but in hindsight it was a really great reminder of like i had a really good community of friends there and it physically mentally made me pause and sort of just be like all right like you have to kind of slow down and get back on track and then i did and then i had um uh some more manic episodes later on and uh what's tough is that and I was going to talk about it later, but if I can just jump around and subject matter, if, if that's okay. I've, yeah. been, I've been working on this book for the last two years about my experiences being bipolar. And um, it's been really challenging to write about because a lot of the stuff is like things that didn't actually happen, but that you felt were real in your heightened state. Mm-hmm. And so my favorite thing about my condition is that being manic, I tell people is like being on like cocaine and magic mushrooms 
all the all the fucking time like you just feel great you got a million ideas you won't shut up and i'm having a blast but you're like can we drug him and make yeah. him go to bed it's like an escape it's like it's like going into a different movie dimension state of mind where you just feel good all the time hmm. and in a way like what that is what's wrong <laughs> what, what's wrong with We've that experienced that before what is yeah. feeling good <laughs> but like uh, because i had already been on these meds and done all this stuff it was like hey i'm doing all this stuff but these feelings are coming back anyway and i was almost like i compare it to being like a drug addict or an alcoholic where mm -hmm. you're sort of hiding your behavior like having a sip and doing the mouthwash and and just trying to hide that feeling because it feels so good and you don't want to lose it right and so the first time around i just felt really good and really creative and i didn't really know why and i was making zines and talking to strangers and you know being kind of weird but i was also like 22 and so i didn't really know any better but this time it was like i knew that it was happening again but mm -hmm. i i as a creative person like i wanted to keep that feeling because when you're manic you just feel really creative yeah so again, comparing it to like drug addiction or alcoholism, I kind of like hid my symptoms and hid my triggers and just kind of tried to power through it. But it's like a carousel that goes really fast and keeps going, keeps going. And um, I become very disconnected from reality mm -hmm. and whatever I want to be real becomes real. So like I told my friend, like I have to sit at this bar because I'm waiting to meet Tom Ford. I have to go to the top of this building. Christopher Nolan's waiting for me. I'm going to be in the new Batman movie. And like anyone who like, if Eric's like, Peter, that's what the fuck are you talking about? Like, yeah, yeah. that's not true. And we're not going there. I'd be like, you know, fuck you. You're dead yeah. to me. And so as people sort of try to bring you back to reality, you just kind of cut them off. Okay. So that all went down. And then I was in the hospital a couple of times for like extreme mania where I just was convinced like things were happening that weren't happening. And it wasn't so much um, hallucinating seeing eric as someone other than eric but mm -hmm. it's like eric is a movie star and if i i'm on this podcast then i'm gonna get a million dollars and then i'm gonna yeah. be on a tv show you just sort of um that's definitely not gonna happen <laughs> you never you never know you never know but it's like these delusions of grandeur sure. <laughs> that sort of are so appealing but um <laughs> i think as a creative person it's tough because you in a way need to be on some medication to like kind of keep those feelings at bay but at the end of the day, it's sort of like, well, how do you decide? Like my little joke is like, hey, I'm feeling good, but not too good. Yeah. So I had to go back to Minneapolis. Um, I mean, in some regard, it almost seems like I, I, there's obviously, you know, negative things about that, like having like a disorder like that. But I feel like it, it also could be like, like if kind of like harnessed, like almost like a superpower. You know what I mean? Like it could really give you, I don't know, like just. A, a, a motivation or a, a headspace like if you were to were able to like kind of like wrangle it and like focus it in, yeah. a, in, a, in a more positive um direction i think it could like really like open up some things or you know like i don't i don't look at it as like a hundred percent as a, a negative thing because you explaining like how you you feel and you think and uh your experience with that it's it's kind of uh i don't know it's it's like motivating like to like, like that's cool you got bipolar that's <laughs> yeah well i mean well i mean like it's a really good asset you got there that's cool there, there's a there's a 
you know, good and a bad to to everything. And I like how optimistic you are, but that's yeah. got to be terrifying when you know it's starting to kind of come on. And it, how what's the t- the uh, timeline between the initial like the twenty two year old uh, first time really having a manic episode to like the next one? Is there is it years in between? Is it months? Like it's how- so it's so weird. And like to me, what's interesting is like. Typically, like it, they say statistically, whatever, genetically, it happens with men in their early 20s. And I didn't know at the time there was some stuff in my family history. There was also the death of someone really close to me. They say like a big event can trigger it. So yeah. the first one was like early 20s. Then it was like mid 20s. Then I moved out here when I was 30. So I went back to Minnesota because I like couldn't handle life on my own and I really was like struggling and they put me on like lithium and I like wouldn't leave the house and then I was really depressed and then I tried to like take my own life and just like a whole fucking like you're playing in a grunge band (laughs) lifetime movie of shit but um at the height of it I was really angry and I remember I said to my dad the college professor and by the way I never finished college and um When I was 29, my sister said, you know, it's really dumb to have 114 credits and not finish. So I went back to Chicago at 29, finished, moved here, and I was 30. And then I would say 27, 28 was like the the down and the dumps, the dark, like, you know, a lot of like uh, people when they're 27 kill themselves. Jim mm-hmm. Morrison, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, like Amy Winehouse, they say like 27 is the year your yeah. Saturn returns or whatever. Artist, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I definitely felt like I was like, you know, rock bottom, blah, blah, blah. And then to be honest, like I moved out here and I was 30. I was doing great when I was 35. And I was slammed in the head by a metal door, which um, gave me a really bad concussion and disrupted my circadian rhythms. You better care of your head, man. This is the second head injury in yeah. the last half an hour of stories. <laughs> so wearing a helmet at work. There was falling on my head again. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's something about so me. Once and... my mom dropped me on my head when I was a kid, I keep landing on the damn thing. <laughs> I, can, I can only use that excuse so many yeah. times. But that, that kind of really triggered a little bit of a manic episode followed by a depressive episode. And it was really... Like debilitating because I hadn't dealt with it for a long time. And I was in a relationship at the time with someone who kind of knew my history but hadn't like seen it. Mm -hmm. And it just, it sucked. It felt like I had relapsed, if you Mm -hmm. will. And then, but anyways, you also know that like that's something you're going to have to carry like with you. So to not like feel bad about like that being something that you're just going to go through. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you have to understand that where it's like, it's nothing like you're not a defective person and that's nothing you can change, but there's just. I mean, we're yeah, all, you know, you're not taking your head clearly, but I'm saying like, there's, no. just, there's the, the part of like, you know, everyone's out there like, you know, look, Eric's he's not that smart. Okay. Who? But he's, <laughs> but he's so cute. Yeah. Handsome guy. Yeah. Dumb as shit. But there's like, okay, he's let's got to carry that his whole life, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, this guy, he's he's still, you know what I'm talking about right now. Yeah. You're, you're, you're totally, totally right. I think the difference now is like, I've kind of come to terms with it in a way. And so what I used to perceive as like a flaw or like, I'm so weird. No one will ever fucking love me is like when I decided to write about it, like directly, I'm like, well, maybe my like flaw is actually like my meal ticket. Cause I feel like Possibly. mental health is like really in since the pandemic. I got a problem. <laughs> and I don't know, like a lot of other bipolar writers who have gone through like, I mean, Oh, we still got some time. So oh, yeah. to be totally honest, I always wrote about it, but like I always wrote around it. So I wrote like a screenplay where like the killer was bipolar or the stepbrother was bipolar. Yeah, like I yeah. was always kind of writing about it, but I never, it was always like writing about yourself in third person. Yeah. Mm. But you ever had wrote with a lead 
being the bipolar person? So I wrote a novel at the beginning of quarantine, and I wrote it about myself and my relationship with my sister. And it was fictionalized, but it was very much about when I came back from the Netherlands after having been kicked out of this woman's house and I had no shoes, no socks, no passport and like hadn't slept in days and just like legitimately was like a scary person. Um, in the novel, I'm older and I'm moving home to live with her. And I wrote it where my storyline is first person and her characters in third person. So it's almost like a movie where it's like I'm the extreme close up tight shots and her storyline is the wide shot and the tracking shot where it's her observing me. So I wrote as me but it still like wasn't me if that makes sense so it was like a little bit of a buffer and then about two years ago i decided that i wanted to write a memoir about being bipolar because i feel like there's a lot of um uh, preconceived notions or like uh stereotypical stuff like um and once i started really writing about my experiences it was really sort of um cathartic therapeutic uh scary exciting whatever because it was stuff that i had never told anyone yeah and so when I decided to write about the book, I said, you know, like, let's lift up the hood of the car and take all the stuff out. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the book is called Just Me. And that's because I've spent a lot of time traveling alone. And when you're at a, a restaurant by yourself, you know, like I was in New York a couple months ago trying to get in and they always ask you, it's just you, question mark. And yeah. I'm always like, it's just me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I build it as a, a, a travel memoir and it's a non-chronological narrative so it jumps around in time and place which i think is how memory works yeah. but also in in terms of the the, the and, and blah, blah, blah. this is just me the illness itself it's high it's low it's up it's down it's all over the place it's everything everywhere all at once and um i wanted to write something that did not need to be read in its entirety or in order so it's almost like an anthology show where it's like oh you like rom-coms watch episode eight okay yeah. you're a dark fucker like yeah. just watch the whole thing but like <laughs> if you only want the comedic stuff just read ch chapter 12 because it's hilarious right but um i think that's like the like what like in in all art people want to to know about the artist and like like the more you can be yourself with whatever it is that you're trying to do artistically, I think the the better it's going to be received because it's, it's you. And that's like the, like it's genuine and it's, it's real. There's not no other person that has the exact same story as you, the exact same life as you. And that's, what's interesting. Like making something like somebody else or doing something that someone's already done or like putting it in a certain format, a certain way. That's boring. Like nobody wants to see that shit. Like they want to, attach themselves to something brand new and a different perspective mm -hmm. and that that's like i think the best takeaway for for all art is like just to be like they always say just be yourself you know like, well, like and it's like yeah. so simple but it's, it's so like, sesame street but it's the, the best thing you have to offer you have to offer is exactly who you are yeah 100 percent. and i feel like since i started doing that like and before i was like i went to grad school and got my master's and i was like i'm gonna write this script about Andy Warhol. I'm going to write this horror movie about gay rights in the South. And these are all things I'm sort of passionate about. But at the end of the day, it's like anyone can write a horror movie about Eric and Tony trapping me in their podcast um, <laughs> escape room. But Get like him. only you can tell the story about your life and yeah. you coming here. Only you can tell the yeah. story about some of the heartache you've gone through recently. And so I think there's a freedom in really, you know, being really vulnerable and really letting it all out. And so um, 
you know, when I was manic, like it feels really good and you feel really creative. But for me, there's like no filter. So it was like I um, hooked up with my my female friends, like ex-husband. Like I just did a bunch of weird (laughs) shit that I would not normally do. And like the only time I've ever had unprotected sex the only time I tried cocaine, like I was in a manic state where you just are like, I'm invincible. Right. Right. So that's, that's <laughs> that part of like where that's the negative aspect of it, where to, where it's to the point where you're putting yourself in harm or you're, you're, you know, you're, you're potentially getting yourself or people around you in bad situations. Yeah. So that, that's like the, the negative part of it where but- just a little bit of it. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, As yeah. you said before, like I always joke, if everyone could have like 5% of my mania, like your house would be clean, like your <laughs> shit would be done. Like it's such an elusive, exciting feeling because it always starts like a slow, like, you know, the movie uh, Dante's Peak, sure. Chris Brosnan, uh, yeah, yeah. Hamilton, uh, he has this analogy where it's like, if you throw a frog in boiling water, it's going to hop out. Like, right. what the fuck are you doing? But if you put the frog in the water and slowly turn the heat up, mm-hmm. they don't really know. And then they yeah. just like die. Yeah. So like when it starts, you're kind of like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good. But like if you were to look at it from an outside perspective, you'd be like, this guy is like crazy and won't shut the fuck up. And yeah. like, you know, something's up. Yeah. Um, but it's hard when you're your own unreliable narrator. So I guess, you know, the reason I wanted to write the book was to really talk about what it feels like when you almost can't trust yourself. And yeah. so... Some of the things that I never talked about were like just crazy shit you do when you're manic because it in your mind, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I was really, 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 really depressed, you know, you get to a point where you're like, I just don't even want to exist. And so in my mind and when someone is really depressed and they try to take their own life, it feels like that's the right move for everybody else. And you're actually doing everyone else a favor. Right. Yeah. Whereas people will say, oh, that's the person being selfish. With yeah. me, I was like, I think everyone's better off if I'm just like, yeah, you know? Yeah. But I will say having had that like low, low, low point, it really made me stop and be like, I'll never get to that place again because I, I've i been there. Right. Um, but the thing I have been writing about that I've never really talked about and is kind of controversial is that after I tried to... Um, take my own life. I've been on a bunch of different meds for depression. And I just like, I was just at my wits end. It's like fucking 40 different combos. Right. Yeah. And so there's, uh, this stuff they do, it's called ECT. It's electroconvulsive treatment. So it's shock therapy. And, um, I was in the hospital and my sister, who's a nurse said kind of like, you know, if there's any chance it will work, will you just kind of try it for me? And all I, I could think of was, um, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, yeah. wrecking for a dream, yeah, like yeah. the storyline in Mad Men when Pete's sleeping with a woman and the guy finds out the husband and like has her shocked a bunch to make her forget. I think that's crazy that that's still something that was is like offered. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that so I mean, that's not as crazy as like lobotomy. It's not not as nuts, but it's still like a very like you think of it as like more of a, a primitive thing or it's something. A lot that was like, like less barbaric than when they used to do it and i think it's kitty dukakis who was the wife of michael Michael dukakis who ran she wrote a memoir called like rape of the soul about how like all her memories went away and so Mm -hmm. the disclaimer in my book is like none of this is like to be like eric try this man or tony don't do this you know for me i did it and it was really 
fucking weird and writing about it and thinking about it is really scary. It did sort of help me get back on track and I've never been in such a low place since then. How did it, how did it feel? Like what was the process of it? <laughs> or like, like, like not knowing anything about it was that shocking. apart from like seeing yeah. movies, you know, like, yeah. what, like what do they do? Like, did you, they like you go stuff on your forehead? Yeah. And, so like, you go to this place and the price is right was always playing in like the waiting room. That's hilarious. You go in and they put these nodes, you know, right here. And yeah. They put the sticky stuff on. They put these nodes on and they put a thing in your mouth because what they're doing is inducing your body to have a seizure. No way. So they strap you down. That's insane. And then they, That's so intense. And I, I never like, it's not like first date material. Like I'd never really told anyone. <laughs> it's not yeah. first date material. But as I've been writing about it, I'm like, I think it's a unique experience. Oh, it's and absolutely I'm sure, fascinating. Absolutely. I'm not pro or con. It just is, right? Yeah, yeah. They, you know, stick a needle in you and you count backwards from 100. And then you just wake up and you're in this other room in a wheelchair. And they make you like eat a muffin and stay there and like make sure you don't, I don't know. Sins so did, did you like have you don't have any memory of like having this shock you, you don't kind of like you don't remember you wake up in another room and like your body's just sore because it's been like you right know? we're like tensed up damn and then you go home and you just kind of sleep the rest of the day and this went on like so all they knock you out with an anesthetic first yeah and this went on all summer. So I thought you were awake during that. They're like, "Look at me!" Look. Maybe, 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 yeah. ba maybe back in the day. But all the all like the uh, true lies movies and shit. All like the oh yeah, yeah, like when they're like terrorizing yeah. them. Yeah. So like you 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 get like the IV put in, they count down, and then you kind of like wake pass up out, and then in the room with the muffin. And you were doing this multiple times for over a month. The so course this of a was month? All, this was like all summer. Um, I think I did it twice a week. I did all summer and I'm go back to school in the fall. Like, how was your summer? <laughs> do you know do you know how long after you had been like put under that they were giving you the shock? Like was it like a minute, two minutes, a half hour, an hour, five hours? It wasn't like it wasn't a lot a lot of time because I remember leaving and like the price is right was still on. So okay. it's like you probably went in at ten and you're done by like ten forty five. Okay. But anyway, um the point of my whole soliloquy about electric shock therapy, uh I, I never talked about it other than with my immediate family and mm -hmm. I never wrote about it. And so as I was writing about it, I was just talking about how what I remember is what I don't remember. Because for me personally, like when you're really depressed or manic, it is hard for your brain, like you're cognitively, cognitively impaired. So you can't form like short term memories effectively anyway. Hmm. So I did a bunch of shit when I was manic that I do not remember. Like, mm -hmm we don't have time to get into it, but like some bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So similarly with the ECT, it's like, I remember feeling really fuzzy, but then I remember coming out of it and feeling better and I have been doing pretty well, but it's a really complicated relationship when you're a creative person and you also have this thing where you have to like take medication or get your thyroid checked or avoid this and don't do this. It's like, if you had diabetes, people would just sort of be on board with it. Or if you had a broken yeah, arm, yeah. But since it's a, a, a mental thing, I have struggled a lot with like, I was at Synespia the other night and I was really excited to be there with my friends and I was in a, having a great time. And suddenly I just like, I was like, I got to get out of here. Like something's going on. Like I'm feeling a little bit off. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had a wound and it started bleeding, people would be like, Peter, you're bleeding, go home. Right. But yeah. when you look relatively normal, whatever that means, yeah. it's hard to sometimes explain to people like, hey, I'm Cinderella, like the pumpkins right. yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've exactly. become a lot more empowered to be like, Eric, I told you I don't want another drink. Like, don't make me. You yeah, know? yeah. And just kind of knowing when to get out of there. Because I think as a creative person, it's like, 
I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you guys. It's like when you're feeling on, when you're feeling good, you just want to keep going, keep yeah. pushing that button. So yeah. I've just had to learn to be a lot more um, mindful of setting limits for myself, which I think is sort of funny because when you're feeling really good and manic, that's the last thing you want to do. So, did you watch the um, Still movie with uh, Michael J. Fox? No, I haven't. Like, I heard it's great. It's really good. But yeah. he has this thing in there because, like, you know, he's dealing with his, like, you know, like a, a disease, disability. It's par- Parkinson's, Parkinson's right? yeah. yeah. It's different. But, like, he, it, it's interesting because he had hit it for so long and he would time out, you know, when he would, like, you know, for I was thinking about this for your situation where, like, you get these manic episodes, right? And you're, like, you're getting creative and you know you have to kind of, like, curb it and stuff like that. And, like, he would time out his medication for his, like, seizure, his little, um, I guess I don't twitch. But like mm, yes. for and he would play it in the scenes and stuff. But like those, you know, kind of what you're saying as far as like you know that being your golden ticket, right? Is like if you can just play that angle, but still be aware of the fact that like you can you can you know walk that tightrope. I think it's mm-hmm. like a, you know your creative energies and stuff are like. Uh, I mean, do you feel like you've found a way to manage it better, or like are, are more consistent? Not maybe can entirely manage it, but like you feel like you have a better grasp on it than you did when you like maybe say like five years ago. Do you feel like oh. you're improving on being able to manage it, or I, do you feel I, like it's kind of still getting out, getting away from you? Like, no, I think I've done a really good job of like taming taming the beast, if you will. But like when the pandemic first happened, I felt like I had this like superiority superiority complex because everybody was like. Oh, I'm so depressed. I can't see anyone. Or, oh, I'm having cabin fever. And I'm like, fucking, this is nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. So my friend who I lived with at the time was kind of really going through it. And I, it was very interesting because I felt like I had the upper hand. Um, and then last summer, something kind of traumatic happened. And then just this past June, I met like the man of my dreams, right? Yeah, I remember Every, everybody, everybody knows. <laughs> and so I was talking to my psychiatrist because I was like, I think maybe I have fallen in love. And I'm feeling, you know, kind of crazy. And he said, well, when normal people fall in love, like, you know, it makes them crazy. But what I have learned is like any sort of trigger for me is like a big event and it could be good or bad. But if it really rattles my normal, regular routine, that's when I find myself at risk. Right, right. So that's when I just double down on like, you know, I use Headspace every day. I do my morning pages. I call my dad, like just sticking to that stuff really, really succinctly because it's like, I don't know. It's it's a weird relationship to have with yourself. I mean, we all struggle, I think, with our own personal demons and addiction and heartbreak. So it's like, I think I've done a really good job of learning how to kind of manage it and also to realize that I don't have to like go off my meds to feel creative. Because the thing mm-hmm. is, it's like in my younger years, I'd be like, I'm not taking these meds because if I take them, I'll be a zombie and then I can't be a famous yeah. writer or whatever the fuck. But you learn like you don't need to be in a manic state in order to make art. Right, Which right. is the whole thing about, it's not about inspiration, it's about ass and chair. And so when I moved right. here and that guy told me that, I really took it to heart where it's like, just sit down and work on your set, just show up at 5.30 and do your podcast. Like, it doesn't have to be great, it just has to be done. Right. And I think consistency- Don't be perfect anytime. A hundred percent. I mean, I think it's like, uh, is it Steinbeck? It's like, uh, good is- done is better than great or something where mm-hmm. it's like i think we're really all good at not finishing stuff because it yeah. can always be better yeah so yeah that's definitely guilty of that that's um yeah that's uh, i think that's such a good um uh, you know thing that you're doing as far as like talking about that and and expressing that and letting people know your perspective of dealing with that and 
that is something that is, you know, possibly will help someone else that may be going through the same exact thing that you're going through that might have had those same feelings of like, I don't know how to bring this up or I don't know how to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do that. And that, that's something that I, I really respect to anybody that, that opens up like that and is able to like communicate that out to the world and on you know, on a podcast. And that's how I, I, you know, I'd listened to your old podcast that you were on explaining that. I was like, man, it's such, such great information to, to possibly help somebody that might be in that exact same situation. And because it's unique to you and your perspective, you, you might think, Oh, like no one else is going to feel like this. No one understands me, but I bet you'd be surprised on, you know, how many people probably heard that or might hear this one and then might go, Oh man, like, okay. Like there is a way to manage it. There is a way to like move forward. There is a way to like, you know, still live life and, and be happy and, you know, still experience things. Um, and I, th I think that's, you know, really, you know, my hat goes off to you for being able to do that. Cause that's like a huge thing that, you know, well, you know, thank you. And, and, and the same to both of you, it's like, you've both gone through your own stuff and it's like, I haven't gone through, a divorce, of course, but as we've talked about, like when you talk about some of your stuff, Tony, it's like I, it's not my own life experience, but I relate to it because I've had my own version of heartache. So yeah. I find anytime you talk about something that's hard, whatever that is for each of us, like it's your own story, but you find the more you talk about it, like how much other people can relate. Like yeah. they say a lot in screenwriting, like the more like specific, the more universal. So like you know, I find. I've seen a couple movies or shows where like I remember seeing Silver Lion's playbook and I wrote Bradley Cooper like a fan letter because I was like, this is like the only sort of somewhat accurate representation that I've ever seen of people like really talking about this shit. And mm -hmm. my favorite scene in the movie is when he meets Jennifer Lawrence and they're at dinner and her well-to-do sister and brother-in-law are kind of trying to like set them up because they're both, you know, crazy. And they start talking about like different meds they're on and the side effects they felt and the well-to-do sister and brother-in-law it's like a different language like they do not understand because they haven't experienced it but like i just remember being like oh i i can relate to these characters yeah. and so that made me feel good seeing whatever the kids are calling it but mm -hmm. like i think the more you talk about stuff that you don't want to talk about or is kind of icky or weird or strange or ugly. Like I have found that really empowering in, in, in my own writing. Cause you're just like, you know, it's just like, it's part of my story. Like it's not yeah. like I'm. And you don't know, you don't know who or when that, that art that you put out there is gonna fall in line with somebody else that is going through that same thing. Um, you never know. I mean, like some kids in uh, Kansas could listen to your podcast yeah. and be like, thank God for Adventure Dumb. Like, so, well, I, I had a thing with Tony um, going through, um, you know, his divorce and stuff. And I, I had wrote songs long time ago and they're all breakup songs I was going through breakup this girl and i was so so bummed out and like so depressed and all my songs were like super sad like rip my heart out and like all this crazy stuff and they're all always, really good songs and he'd always be I like oh, man, you know like why you always be, like making sad songs and shit you know and but he didn't he didn't have that perspective of like you know what i was going through but i was just spilling out i hadn't and, been like, gutted yet and you're like yeah. now you know no no so i i never i was like oh, you know whatever i'm just i'm just writing to to write to get it out of me you know and um it wasn't until he was going through a heartache situation and then i remember him calling me up and being like man i was listening to like you know 
some man. of those songs I used to make fun of you about. He's like, holy shit, they like shit hits differently they, now, man. Yeah, like, it, like you ever watch like Swingers? Every word resonates. Like, the movie Swingers, you know? Oh, of course. And I, I remember watching that movie before I was in a relationship, and like you know, and then being like, oh yeah, it's a funny movie, you know, yeah. like John Favreau, and like you know, whatever. And then and then watching it after a breakup, where you're like, you know, heart wrenched and stuff, and then be like, oh this God. movie is so accurate. Like this yeah. is the most amazing. You know, like you have a different perspective of the art, and I think that is you know something that you know everybody here like has has out there now you know like everybody well, has a, that floating around it's just like when will it be relatable to who and you know well that's the beauty of making this podcast making a movie writing a song writing a book it's like i watched um eternal sunshine of the spotless mind with our coworker melissa a couple months ago and i was like i haven't seen this movie in years and hmm. the first time i saw it i had never been through a breakup where i literally was like i don't want to remember this shit and mm -hmm. so i was watching it again and i was like this is really speaking to me in a different way than when i was 25 and yeah. watching it so what i love is like your song your bit it's exactly the same but mm -hmm. because you've been through something like you just appreciate it in a different way yeah you know? right and that's the beauty of like my favorite movie bonnie and clyde i've watched it a ton of times over the years and every time i watch it it's different because i've changed even though the movie's still the same yeah right uh, yeah, I think that's like the best uh, takeaway from any from any art. Like mm -hmm. that's that's why you got to just be tell your story, tell, you know, your perspective on it. And there are people out there that will relate to it at some point in time, no matter what. Like and it just it could is. be, you know, it's like time travel. It's like someone could read. Um, I just read this great book by Stephen King that Rory gave me called On Writing. And he almost talks about how reading a book is like time travel. Because when I'm sitting and writing something, it's whatever year and whatever day and maybe in 50 years like your grandchildren will read it and i'm long gone and dead or you know maybe i'll still be alive yeah. <laughs> but like they'll still connect to it yeah or I, not yeah i think about that too like you know anything that i've ever created will like just be in the ether like you know like like somebody like you said like someone could just like dust off like an old uh you know shelf and find like something i wrote or some song i made and be like the fuck is this and it like might connect to that person then mm -hmm. you know like it's just still it's just out there you know it's like yep. you just put it out there like again the hardest thing is just like doing something well and just yeah like i have so much respect i was at the comedy store last week for kelsey's you know roast battle and i just said i have so much respect and admiration for anyone who just gets up on stage and just Oh yeah, just does their thing because it's sure. hard. Oh yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I get anxiety whenever I go to any show. I'm like, I put my mind in like, like I pretend like I'm like a comic or anybody like they're like they're doing like um, music too. Should I gotta go back to that guy? Yeah, like yeah. And I remember yeah. how I, I would feel before like having to do a show and be like, oh my god, if I was in this situation right now, I'm like, oh my god, I'd be so anxiety right oh now. My god. It's well, like, that's how I felt last week. Yeah, it's how, just, how did it go for you last night? It's great. I had a great fucking set. Okay, but there's then. a no idea. I mean, I I it was like a lot. I mean, I don't know. You know, as <laughs> modest relate, as I can be. Relate. No, no. But I had I had nerves before I got there. It's just there's like you know comics that I haven't like you know worked with before. There's just, it's a it's a whole different thing. And then two, it's like I hold the comedy store on a pedestal. I think that's my that's my favorite club in town. So like the fucking around on stage, not being prepared, you don't do that there. Like I will. And, and that's something I'm trying to change as, as far as like, you know, an evolving artist is like never not do your homework until you're in class. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I know I look at back in like the 10 years plus I've been doing stand up. Like I've definitely like phoned it in on shows and shit. Like last night I, I came and I did what I was brought there to do. And it fucking 
It was received well. And there's jokes that I, I like, you know, really kind of went through and retooled last night that landed as well as I had hoped they did. So mm-hmm. it was like, that's the coolest shit is like, especially when there's like a new part of a joke or something that like that you want to add that's on the back end of another thing. So like I have to get through the beats to get to the part that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Once that happens and then you fucking seen it's received like, fuck yeah, I knew that. I knew that shit was funny. And that that's like the, the coolest thing about it. But there is the nerves because like I went into it like, you know, with what I wanted to, to go on stage with. Right. So sometimes you can like, you know, do an audible and kind of cater the room more. But like that's something where like I've done that and sometimes it works and sometimes it's just like you should have fucking stuck with what you prepared. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, but, but you don't I, know I, until you do it. Right. And yeah. And, the and, reaction, and, or? and there's always nerves. I, I've never really been like that calm before we're going on and then the, the energy after you get off whether you have a good set or a bad set your body's like you know kind of got like a different little vibration yeah. to it where you're just like when you fucking kill you're like fuck yeah like like yeah they want this night to ever end but then you have a fucking bad like all right nobody look at me pretend we didn't see yeah. this and you're like, <laughs> yeah, like just run get out me of out of here yeah yeah they're just <laughs> like that's the risk you take i mean yeah. just getting up on stage doing this podcast yeah. me writing my weird little poetry and give like but to be able to do that, I think, is something that a lot of people like I went to this lip syncing competition last month and I'm like, I had so much admiration again for anyone who could just get up there. See, I can't. That terrifies and me and karaoke terrifies me. And those those are things I don't ever want to do. It's not that I'm like, oh, if I only had the balls, I'm like, this dude, dude, please never sign me up for that shit. I do have no desire to do that kind of stuff. And I know people feel that way about stand up where like there are, you know. A, a set percentage of people in the stand-up crowd that would like to do it at some point in time. I was that. I liked stand-up before I ever did stand-up's it. Stand-up's hard, man. It's and, scary. Like, yeah, that to yeah. me is the scariest form of art. Like, I've done it a <laughs> yeah. few times. I did this show for my friend, and I was, like, terrified because I'm like, yeah. you know, if you're playing a guitar or acting in a scene or whatever, but if yeah. you're just trying to, like, I don't know. I think you're both funny people by nature. I felt like I was just like trying to be funny and it just, it was like a fucking, it was awful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's just, again, to kind of like that, you know, solo act, you know, mentality where like, that's what I've always liked more about stand up than improv. Improv terrifies me as well. And it's something I want to do. I'm going to, that's something I like list of things to do this year is just take an improv class just to get out of my comfort zone and shit. But like, I think that's a great idea. When you, if you do it and you know, and you're in a team mentality, like, I know that if I fucked up, like, the volley that someone gave me, I'd be like, ah, oh, you fucking idiot. Like, this, you know, I would just beat myself up. In the same breath, though, if someone fucked up something, I'd say, like, oh, where are you fucking going with this? You know, there's, like, that kind of, like, mm-hmm. and I, that's not a right way to look at it, but that's just how I've always looked at it. Whereas, like, stand-up is, like, it's on my back. Like, yep. if this shit lands, I'm taking all the fucking credit for it. If this shit flops, I'm taking all the credit for that as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to play game and be like, well, the weird fucking room and this guy, like, you know, it, it, there's <laughs> yeah. none of that shit. Yeah. It's, yeah fucking it's full a, moon. It's yeah. all it's all on you. Yeah. But I think there's a freedom in that. It's like when I was in high school, before the arts high school, and I did sports, like, I hated, like, any, like, team sport. I loved, like, track and field where it was, like, all on me because yeah. I'm, like, win or lose, like, it's I'm in charge. And that's why I like being, I used to collaborate with other people, but I've really enjoyed writing this book because it's all on me and it's going to be awesome and or suck, but Mm -hmm. it's up to me Yeah. and I can't blame it on anyone else or ask anyone else for help. So that's why I feel like being on stage and doing stand up, it's like, it's just me and I'm just here and lose, fail, win, whatever the word is, like I'm doing it on my own and no one else can like blame me, stop me, make me like, you're just exposing your inner heartstrings and 
people might love it or hate it, but I think the point is to just do it. Yeah. And I would say like every time you sit down to write, to record, to get on stage, I think it should always be a little bit scary. My dad says, if you're not nervous, like something's wrong, exactly. like, you should never get up and be like, yeah. I'm yeah. going to kill this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But right, every time you do, you get better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know? I st I've still never done that. That's one thing that stand up? You, you guys No, I, I did once, but I wouldn't even call it, count it as like stand up. It was at like, this sh shitty little place in our neighborhood that doesn't exist anymore. But um, you shut it down. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was so they bad. Like, They're like, we got to close this Bring the wrecking place. ball in. But like you guys have both done like solo things and like, it, you know, like having that independence and, and taking all of the whether it's good or bad, you know, response from from it where I've really never done that. Dude, like you I've, did that shit right when you started playing. No, I was all I, I, I always played you with, played always played Mark's with somebody. Joe played piano. I was never by myself. Eric. I always had somebody out of the gate. Me. You played the song Even, at, at the parlor. <laughs> You no. did the Oasis cover and you did No, but that a, was with that was wait, with an Oasis cover? No, 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 no. Before there was literally the first time maybe you like, played maybe like the same one Saturday at the parlor. Be the one you you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And after yeah. But maybe like one time. And that's in like the whole span of my musical like journey, whatever. It's always been with someone else, you know, always accompanied by somebody, always playing with somebody, <laughs> always being in bands, always recording with other people, never really taking like that step to just be like go on stage by myself with a guitar and like mm -hmm. do it with no, like somebody playing piano in the background or someone else on stage with me. That's well, like, you know, scary. kind of off to the side. Like it's yeah. Like I have not been able to do that yet. And that's the one thing I still need to check off of my box and I'm still trying to get to that, but it, you will. it's, yeah. uh, it's still like, ugh, like the, <laughs> the fact that you still, like, I think are thinking about it means that it's something that you will do at some point. You know, I know a lot of people who like, I want to play the guitar and then like, they don't, try or talk about it again for eight years it's me yeah. you're talking about right here <laughs> that's okay I'll, I'm teach not you, I'll teach you four yeah. chords yeah but the fact that it's still in your periphery means it's something you're still going to do right yeah it's definitely something that is on my mind constantly but it's just like all right i just gotta like do it you know it's hard to when you know we have these full-time jobs waiting on the rich and famous and then a second a second <laughs> full-time job which is being yeah. a creative person and maybe a third full-time job which is being a parent so it's like a mentor yeah you know, <laughs> a mentor molding the minds of the future um but we are, we are out of time, are we, of time? Is that yeah. the end yeah we're, end. we're gonna wrap up do you want to do a jerry springer for like closing th thoughts yeah. yeah we always like to give oh give our um, guests uh you know anything well, you want to any think about or wanna, yeah. yeah anything you have coming out or oh, where so people I, can find you you know i did all that kind um, of stuff I'm, I'm around you can find me <laughs> uh Thanks for having me. And yeah, just uh, my memoir is coming out in January um, in theory. Well, it is. I don't know if we don't have time to get into it, but it's happening. And um, Peter it's a, Brown. Peter Instagram. Brown. Oh, Peter Brown uh, with an E XOXO. It's very professional. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a it's a non chronological memoir about what it's like to remember what it's like to live with bipolar and I guess like how to be a creative person and navigate this strange life that we're living. And um, you guys are great. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. And I, I think it's really cool that you have your own ritual and your own routine. And you're just, like you said, it's 530 on Thursday. Let's do it. Because I yeah. think the more you do anything, the better you get at it. So um, uh, sweet. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for being hey, on. Thanks man. for being on. Yeah. Thanks for, being, thanks for being you. Peter. So next Thursday? Thanks, yeah. for, thanks <laughs> yeah. for sharing next yourself Thursday. with us. Yeah.
5.30 next Thursday. Tony Klein. I'm Tony Klein, comedian um, on Instagram and all the other social medias. Um, website is TonyKleinComedian.com. Um, I will be having some new videos on there soon. And um, check my website and Instagram for dates. Um, yeah, that's about it for me. Cool. Eric? I am Eric. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Eric Rustler. You can also go to the ericandtonyshow.com. You can buy apparel. So we have T-shirts, mugs, beer mugs, sweatshirts, uh, unisex, regular stuff. Um, so purchase something on there if you want to help support this podcast. You can also go to adventuredum.com and buy some of my apparel for my apparel line. It's a outdoors for dummies kind of clothing line for people that like outdoors. Um, so go check that out. You can also watch all of this footage on YouTube. We do the full, um, podcast every monday on youtube so if you want to watch it and it's on spotify every monday at six in the morning it gets put up and then i do minute minute clips on tiktok instagram and uh instagram did i say that already youtube yeah. youtube shorts instagram and tiktok uh 60 second clips every day so keep an eye out for those and thanks for sticking around and hanging out with us and we'll see you next week thank we'll see, you again, we'll see you next thursday at 5 30 <laughs> <laughs> we're out thanks <laughs>